Hi guys, welcome again to another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real. It's again a podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow. Uh, we try to become the best versions of ourselves as we can as we continue to serve our Lord. You can find the podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can watch the video portion there. And then you can also find the podcast anywhere that you can get your podcast. So today, as you can see, I'm not by myself. This is one that y'all have been asking for and waiting for. So it's finally Friday. And so we're, we're grateful that we have another opportunity to study. And uh, as you can see, I'm not here alone. I have uh, Ren Ferguson here with me. And so before we get started, uh, I'll let Ren kind of introduce himself to you guys. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, I'm Ren Ferguson. Uh, my wife and I are working with the Collinsville Troy uh, Church of Christ there in Collinsville, Illinois. Uh, we moved there in October of 2020. Yeah, 2020, right? I think, I think 2020. So. Or, yeah, yeah. One of them. 2020. Yeah. Uh, so we've been here for just a little over a year, uh, and I've known Jordan for several years. We were at Memphis at the same time, weren't in the same class, but we were there at the same time. Kind of ran in a similar group of friends. It overlapped at least. A <laughs> yeah, it bit. overlapped. And so, uh, so known him for a while and excited to be here. I've been here for a year, and I was wondering when you were going to invite me to do a we've podcast. Been trying. <laughs> we've been trying. Okay, but he's kidding. here. I'm just kidding. He's here. He's here. We finally got him. So we're thankful uh, that Ren could be with us. All right, so Ren, I'm excited about this topic. I know a lot of other people were excited about this topic, but the topic is, are you real or are you fool's gold? Are you real or are you fool's gold? So um, on social media, I put out kind of a question as we uh, introduced this. And the question was, what if we lived in a world where everything stayed the same, but the people that you care for you know, that you celebrate, that you love, that you're, that you're always there for, that you always extend the olive branch first. What if they can do nothing for you? It's not that they don't have it in them. What would motivate you to keep loving the people that you love, that you know can't do anything for you? Right. And so a lot of people on, especially, you know, parents, they said, well, that's what a parent is. You know, a parent is someone who loves, but the, the, the child can't necessarily give me anything back. But then some others said, well, it's it's out of just true love and motivation. So now as we thought about this, a lot of it is about our relationship with God. So I think the question that we need to start off with, Ren, as we kind of uh, conversate and then we'll open up the scriptures together. How can I know and how can we know if if we or someone else is real or if we or someone else is fool's gold? How can, right. how can we know? Right. And. And I think this, the idea of fool's gold is really interesting because I don't know if you've ever Googled it or not, but it's I should, a, it's I actually a, have it when I should. it's a very common <laughs> phrase. And I think we kind of know what it's talking about, but when you Google it, what it actually is, is discussing is it's a kind of metal that looks almost identical mm. to real gold, but it's basically worthless. And so whenever you presented this, I was thinking, man, that's to me, that's pretty powerful, especially when considering this aspect of things, considering the spiritual aspect of things. Sometimes we can look and others can look like the real deal, mm, yeah. but in all reality, they're not. And so I think that's that's really interesting. And that's why it's so important for us to dissect, I think, this question of how can we know if what we're doing, why we're doing it is, in fact, for the right and real reasons. Mm. So I, I love how you said that sometimes we 
fool's gold, it looks like the real thing. That's why it's called gold right. still. Right. But it's 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 not the real thing. So now as we talk about this, guys, we're gonna look at a couple things and I hope this can help you today as we kind of look at this. But notice the first part of the question. Sometimes when you think about stuff, you automatically start thinking of other people. Well, are they real? Are, are they this? But notice the question is, are you real first? Are you real or are you fool's goal? So we have to answer this about ourselves first before we can answer this for anybody else. So keep that in mind as we move forward and as we're continuing to study. So number one, if you're taking notes with us, the first thing we want to we look at is how can I know if I or someone else is real or fool's goal? Number one, a way that you can understand is you can know by understanding their motivation. You can know by understanding their motivation. So, Rand, as, as we look at this, what do you have as we talk about this first topic of understanding someone's motivation towards you? Uh, well, when we're thinking about motivation, I guess. I guess my mind automatically went to Matthew chapter six. Oh, yep. Uh, because in I mean, obviously, in the context of this, he is applying it to specifically uh, spiritual things. Uh, but we could take the principles that he lays out here and and kind of apply it to any kind of relationship that we have, whether it is our relationship with God or whether it is our relationship with somebody else. Um, because something that you pointed out before we actually started recording is, is sometimes we have these relationships and our whole motivation is to get something out of it. Mm. And in Matthew chapter 6, and if you remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, the middle portion of it, uh, if you will. And the first half of this chapter, even though Christ deals with a couple of different, uh, I guess you could say, subpoints within this, one of his reoccurring points through these three paragraphs is the motivation of the scribes, the Pharisees, and of the Jews. In verses 1 through 4, he is talking about helping those that are in need. Um, and he says there in verse two, he says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Yeah. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And if you look at verses five through 15, where he's dealing with prayer, it's a very similar application there also. They pray, they stand up, they repeat themselves a lot. They say a lot of the same things over and over just to be seen by other people, <clears throat> excuse me, other people. And then in verses 16 through 18, with fasting, it's a very similar idea there. They, uh, as, he's, as he says there, they deform their faces in whatever way that, that may have been uh, so that others will see them, be like, oh, they're fasting. They must be so righteous. They must be so great. And so their whole motivation was not really because they loved God. It was because they wanted that praise and acclaim from other people mm. and again while he's dealing specifically with the spiritual aspect of this and their relationship with god i think we can apply that principle to our relationship yes with god ultimately but even our relationship with with others <laughs> why do we do the things that we do why do we perhaps help help a friend in need is it because we actually care about them or is it because we're hoping they're going to pay us back Ooh, now you're okay now we're cooking with fish grease here all right so now as we're getting into this so now understanding motivation so again like you just mentioned there the pharisees and the sadducees everything that they did in matthew 6 when you think about it most of what they did was the right outward action most of what they did 
but the reasons why they did it was wrong, as you mentioned. So for us, let's let's make some application for us as we're thinking about this. So first of all, as a Christian, we can apply everything else. But as a Christian and in my relationship with God, why do you do what you do? Maybe I mean, it's it's simple, but it's almost so complex, as simple as Mm -hmm. as it is. So you're a member of such and such church. Why do you do what you do? Why do you show up every Sunday? Why do you why do you study? Is it to impress Ren? <laughs> Isn't to impress somebody? Why do you do what you do? But notice is look, I want to look at this one. Look at Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five, um, verse number 14. And again, if you guys are new to the podcast, open up your Bibles with us so we can look at these scriptures together. So um, actually, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse number 14. And so notice what the, what Paul mentions here. Uh, let's actually beginning in verse 13. For whether we were beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of God constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. So why did Paul and every single disciple, why did they suffer? Was it to show you know, they were better than the other disciples was it to show that I was better than this guy or that guy. They did it because they loved God. Right. So it's the same concept for us. Why do we do what we do? If we do it for any other reason, it's the wrong reason. And it will always backfire because it's not real in the beginning. Right. Exactly. And and I think that point is interesting. And it reminded me of another passage of Paul's uh, because they're like you're pointing out his whole their whole motivation. And it should be our motivation also was their love for Christ yep. and the love that Christ displayed for them and had for them. And it reminds me, you making that point, remind me of Galatians 6 and verse 10. And we go to this passage a lot to discuss false teachers, things of that nature. But if you look at verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Mm-hmm. And this is important. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Ooh. And so we need to be careful what our motivation is because even though sometimes we might go through the right motions, we might do the right things like you pointed out, ultimately what that would lead to is us leaving Christ because we're serving ourselves. We're trying to please others and not him. Oh, okay. So now this, this begs the question here. So as we're continuing to build this idea and concept through scripture, so there's three reasons that there's plenty more. But here's three reasons from scripture that um, that I saw as I studied of why do I do what I do? So number one, you either do what you do out of fear, meaning, you know, obviously God is someone that we should reverence and fear, but is the only reason you're living right is because you're afraid. Then if that's the case, then that's not the right motivation either. You know, I've literally heard people say, well, I'm just doing it so I can go to hell. Yes. But it's. It sounds like, well, that's the right thing, but that's not the right answer at all. Because even John, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there's no fear in love. So if you're serving out of fear, then that's not real anyway. Then number two, another reason why, maybe out of tradition. Well, I've always shown up to this church. You know, my parents did, or my mom did, or my dad did. So I just do it because that's just what we do. But is that the right reason too? You see, we have to understand what drives you, what drives that engine for you to keep doing what you're doing. Or number three, now this is the big one. Sometimes we can do stuff out of fear, 
we can do stuff out of tradition, but this is the big one. And you, you kind of hinted at it. We do stuff for reward. So I'll, I'll play the part. I will play the part until I get what I want. So if that's the case, then we talked about a little bit about this off air, but we make God a vending machine. And I want you to go into that as we okay. talk about that, making God a vending machine. That's, yeah. that's a great concept. Uh, yeah, I just had made the comment that, you know, because of that motivation, seeking that reward, which I, I want us to be clear, there's nothing wrong with seeking that reward. In fact, when we look at scriptures, that was one of the things Christ pointed out to motivate us. And so I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that being an aspect of our motivation, but that should not be our sole motivation yeah, That's it. because what we end up doing, and I said this to Jordan, as he said, before we started recording is one thing that I say a lot of times is we end up treating God like he's a vending machine. Like we press a few buttons, we do the right things, we go to worship, we go to Bible class, we try, we invite somebody. Yeah, we do. We go through all these things and then we just hold our hands out and expect God to give us what we want. Mm. And and we do it again. If that's our motivation, it's not God seeking. It's still self-seeking. Okay, so now that you bring that up. So one of the I asked this question on on, um, social media and one person said she heard that. If, if this is us, she's heard before that if we treat God like a vending machine or we treat God as a reward, that's not friendship. We're doing business with him. Right. So now if we really think about it as a Christian, are you his friend and are you the are you a friend of the brethren or are you just existing doing the right things? Matthew six, the right motions, Matthew six, you're showing up, Matthew six. But are you just in business for God and in business for people to see what you can get out of them? See, now, sometimes I don't think we we start off with that, but I think sometimes we can because of our desperation and how we're not growing. I think sometimes we can try to do that and use God. But that's not if that's the case, then we're not doing anything for the right reasons in the first place. So that's why in Second Corinthians five. Paul said, look, love constrains us. Mm -hmm. So what happens, like you said, so what happens when you try to do what God says, but then things go south? What's going to what's going to motivate you? Because you're not getting anything now. Right. So what's going to drive you? It's the same concept, man. The same concept. Right. It has to be like you said, it has to be that love. And again, you saying that how sometimes initially, perhaps that is the right motivation again, reminded me of of Ephesus and Revelation 2. What was Christ's complaint against them? Oh, there you go. Yep. They had left their first love. They were still, even as he describes in that that passage, they were Mm. still doing everything right, but they didn't have that same love that they had at the beginning. Mm. And because of that, and that was his only only correction for that congregation, was that they did not have that love. And so I think that should really show show us how important it is. And, and I think it also kind of highlights how, I guess you could say, easy it is for Christians 100%. to be zealous at the beginning. But then as things, I guess, I guess in our minds start to become routine, they become normal, we've gotten used to it, we show up at this time, we leave at that time, yep. we talk with these people, do this, and we start to just kind of treat it like a a list and we're checking things off the list and Mm, that that's it causes that love for god 
to begin to fade. Ooh, that, okay. There's so many, there's so many places yeah. we could go with it, but okay. So when we think about our motivation, so many times we have the old Testament here for a reason, as an example. So when you think about guys like Joseph, like, mm-hmm. um, like Abram, like Job, like Daniel, like all the major and minor prophets, what do you think uh, again? Okay. Before we get there, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting too excited. All right, go to go to Jeremiah. I want to I want you to see this. So here's a prime example of not treating um, not treating God um, like that vending machine that you talked about. Jeremiah chapter twenty. Jeremiah chapter twenty. Now remember, so Jeremiah has a relationship with God, right? So in chapter one, remember, Ren, you know everything's all good. You know, God said, I've known you since the since mm-hmm. the womb. I know all this. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'll always be with you. Say what I have to say. He always encouraged him, didn't he? So then Jeremiah started off, you know what? I can right. do this. And as preachers, you and I can understand yeah. that. We start off, bro, everybody's going to accept this. We right. did. It's, I mean, it's just going to be, if they're good-hearted people, they're not going to do all this stuff. Right. So now you start preaching. You start. You start teaching. You start getting into the into the ministry, then notice what happens. So now he's arrested, mm-hmm. and now notice what Jeremiah says, starting in verse seven. Oh Lord, thou hast deceived me, <laughs> Lord. This is not what I thought it was. This is not it. This is not what I thought it was. I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed because of what I'm doing and how I'm living. I'm in derision every single day. Everyone mocks me. Verse eight. For since I spake, mm-hmm. I cried out in violence and spoil, meaning he cried out louder, because the word of, of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision unto me every single day. And because of that, verse 9, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor will I speak any more in his name. So now, if this was the normal Christian today, they believe the promises, they believe in good people, but then things start to go south a little bit. Well, that's not what I thought it was. So what motivated Jeremiah to keep going? It had to have been, it it couldn't have been a reward. It couldn't have been tradition. It couldn't have been fear. Notice what kept him going. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. So for us, we have to ask ourselves, what is our motivation? As you follow God, and Ren can attest to this, things aren't always going to go your way. Most times, things are actually going to get worse, to be honest with you. The more you follow God, things are going to get worse. So when it gets worse, a reward can't motivate you. So what's going to move you forward? It's got to be, I got to believe what he said. I know things are terrible right now, but I got to keep going. And Jeremiah, perfect example here, man. And I think it again illustrates how important that love is, mm. because even though I mean, and I and I love this example of Jeremiah because it was like he was just so I mean he was fed up with it. He was done. He was Not done. Bad. He was wanting to check out, but his love for God was so much greater than that desire to just stop. Mm. And I know a lot of preachers have that same feeling. It's like, because sometimes it's 100%. like, you, you just, you don't want to keep going. Yeah. But then you think about God, you think about everything that he has done for you. You think about how so many people need to hear God's word. And that, I don't know, it's like that 
burning fire that Jeremiah had in his heart. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And this is the great thing, not just for preachers, guys, but for Christians. Right. And think about think about even Christ. I know somebody mentioned this in the comments as well. What motivated Christ? You know, we, we spat on him. You know, we hated him. You know, the Bible says in Matthew that he was put on the cross and he was delivered to Pilate because of envy. All those things, but John 3, 16. That's what motivated God. So here's the question. So let's say, you know, Jeremiah was real. Jesus was real. But what motivated Jeremiah and what motivated Jesus when they came in contact with fool's gold? What motivated them was they still love them, but they still say, you know what? I'm going to do what God says anyway. Right. Uh, again, yeah. it reminded me of another example. <laughs> Keep it going. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I think it's in John 6, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh in John 6, verses 1 through 15, is when Christ fed the 5,000. I know where you're going. And then in verses 16 through 21 is where we read about Jesus and Peter uh, walking on the water. And then notice, I guess, let me start here. I guess I'll start in verse 22. He says, on the next day, so the day after he had fed the 5,000 and, and all of this had happened, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, because they had crossed over the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. So they see he's not there, and they go after him, in short, is what those verses are talking about. And it says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them. Now this is important. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs talking about feeding them, but the miraculously feeding them, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know that you are just following me and you are coming to look for me, not because you are convinced that I am the Messiah, but because you are getting something from me. That's it. And then, like you said, how did they react when they approached or dealt with people who were fool's gold? Jesus didn't just dismiss them. He didn't just write them off. I mean, he rebuked them, obviously. Obviously, yeah. But then he didn't, you know, chase them away. He uses really, I think it's the rest of this chapter. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess mainly down to verse 59 before he addresses specifically his, his other, the, the main disciples. Uh, he uses that entire section to teach them about the bread of life, which we know is him. And trying to encourage them, even dropping down to, uh, well, he even says it in verse 27, right after he rebukes them. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Instead of just completely dismissing them, he, even though he knew their intention, he knew their motivation, he used it as an opportunity to still teach them. And... Mm. And sometimes I think whenever we come across people that are fake, that are fool's gold, that don't have the right motivation, we tend to just immediately write them off right. and cut ties with them and do our best to never speak to them again. But even Christ, whenever he 
encounter people like that, he still, if there was an opportunity, he still tried to teach them and reach out to them. And, and I love how you said that because he always, he's always was willing to give someone another shot to be real. Mm-hmm. So think about, think about all the disciples. The disciples were fool's gold. Right. Because, well, uh, Jesus said a kingdom's coming. Well, can I sit on your right hand? Can, right. can I sit on your left hand? No, that's not physical. And then when he got arrested, what'd they do? All right, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm out. So then when the disciples were fool's gold, when Jesus rose, he said, go tell Peter. <laughs> go tell mm-hmm. the rest of them. Right. So he always, again, I love what you said. So it's, it's one thing to recognize fool's gold. But once you recognize it, okay, what can I do to help them to become real now? Mm-hmm. So it, Jesus was the master at that. So number one, as we talk about this, are you real or are you fool's gold? You can know by understanding motivation. Then as we progress, and before we move forward, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash when the scriptures become real, and you can support there. We already have three monetary supporters, and we're so thankful for you guys. And if you want to continue to support, you can go to anchor.fm slash when the scriptures become real. So we're talking about this idea, Rand, of are you real or are you fool's gold? And again, this isn't something where me and you sat down to do this. Because I know sometimes uh, when you talk about topics like this, people are, you talking about me? You, you talking about me? Uh, Ren talking about me? No. We're doing this to see if we're real first because we always have to study for ourselves. But then as you look at this, maybe you have to second guess how you've been treating some things and treating some people and even treating God around you. That's why we're doing it. This is not a, well, Ren, after we put this out there, let's right. hope that's, that's not what this is. So we got to make sure we make that clear. So then two. How can you know if you're real or your fool's goal? You can know that by your motivation, but then two, you can know by their fruits. Here's the thing, and we talked about this in Bible class last night, Rand. The thing about, uh, about fruits, they will always show themselves. I mean, a tree, no matter what happens, a tree will always show what it is. At some point, it will always show its colors. Mm-hmm. So again, we can go to Matthew. I know we mentioned this, but we can go to Matthew chapter seven. And as you think about this, what do you think about this idea of you can know them by their fruits? Well, I I know you're going over to Matthew seven. We actually both have that in our notes. Uh, uh, Because the thing is, I guess you could say people will always leave a trail. Mm. Like if you pay close enough attention, and I'm not saying to overthink and dissect every little thing. Yeah, yeah, could, because uh, yeah. if you wanted to find something negative, you could, whether it was true or not. Right. But if you if you watch people and you pay attention to what they're doing, how they're acting, what happens around them, what goes on, the the kinds of people that they interact with, what happens in those groups, whatever, you can get a pretty good idea of what kind of person yeah. they are. And that's exactly what Christ was telling the disciples or telling the people they are in Matthew 7 and verses 15 through 20. And he's talking specifically about false teachers. And he says, To beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, I think that's a good point because initially, right off the bat, we don't always know. Yeah, we don't always know. Because, and I know we could drop some names of some false teachers right now. They, 
I mean, they're very charismatic. They are very eloquent. They teach. It's all about love, right? Yes. It's all about love. And it's all about encouragement and everything's okay. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. That's it. And so they can appear like sheep, but as he says, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. So we, we won't always initially know, at least just right off the bat, but he does say there in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What is, again, what is left in their wake? Mm. Ooh, that's a question. What's left? So now that makes me think about an axe with Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they thought they were keeping parts back from the disciples. Right. Again, they had gifts, right, which helped them out. Right? Peter had the gift of discernment. But as he discerned, he said, why would you lie? Right. Why would you do that? You, th you thought you were getting away. Why would you do that? Then they were struck down. But then notice, sometimes, and again, I think this is another little side note. Sometimes with, with that fool's goal that we can be, sometimes when uh, it gets too far, God will have to step in. And God had to knock him down. And then the text said that fear came upon the church. And then the church grew after that. Mm -hmm. So then imagine everybody else. All right, we don't need to be, we got to be, we got to yeah. be honest. We got to right. be right. We got to do the right things. So it honestly, I mean, just like Jacob, you know, the, the trickster, it doesn't pay. I mean, it, it will work. I will say that if you want to try it, it will work for a period of time. It will work 100%. But the same way that Jacob was tricked, he got it right back. You know, on his wedding day, I've been waiting for this for seven years, unveils it. This is not it. This is not the right one. So again, the same, the same thing happens. So we got to be careful. But I love that example of, especially verse 21 of Matthew 15. Not and again, verse 21, 22 and 23 goes with the same con or goes with the same concept of verse 15 and 16. So not everyone that says. Lord, Lord, mm -hmm. shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So here's the danger, Ren, of, of living this way and living the fool's gold life. The danger of it is it becomes so comfortable. It becomes so comfortable that because we're Christians and because we show up to worship and because we do those things, well, I'm good. But not everyone right. that says, Lord, Lord is going to enter. The, you got to do the right things rather than just do the actions. Because what makes us better than Pharisees and Sadducees? If right. the heart's not right, it's right. the same concept, man. Right. And you, you made mention of the point a moment ago about how God always knocks them down. And that's certainly <clears throat> true. And sometimes people being fools, gold, even going through periods of it, perhaps ourselves, we do it and we think that we're going to get away with it. Mm. And in first Timothy chapter five, there in verses 24 and 25, Paul says the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to the judgment, meaning everybody knows about them. Like it's not a secret what they did, but the sins of others appear later. Mm. What he's saying there is we're, we, you and I aren't always going to know the sin that's in people's lives, but he says it's going to come out. Yeah. And it's going to come out on the day of judgment. And so sometimes I think with this fool's gold, first of all, as we're talking about here, we can know 
ultimately know by their fruit. But sometimes we find that comfort and we find, I guess, maybe comfort is the best word, mm, uh, yeah, yeah. in being fool's gold and thinking that we're going to get away with it as long as we check the boxes, as long as we do the things, then it doesn't matter if our heart is in it because we're going to get away with it because nobody else knows. But that's not true. Where is that, Ren? Where <clears throat> I think it's in First Samuel where, where Saul was commanded to kill everything, but he, he brought back the king and the sheep. I think it's that, 1 Samuel 18. I, I want to make sure that's the right one. Is that 18? Because there there is a prime example there. And it might be... I think it's 2 Samuel. Yeah. yeah. See, it, two preachers' minds, you need two more than one sometimes. So is that the right one? Let me make sure it's the right text. You know what's funny? I mentioned this in a Bible class not too long ago, <laughs> and I could I could not remember where it was then either. It's the worst that you just like, where is that verse? So, okay, as I go through that. Or is it 28? Oh, it might be, yeah. So, as he's, as Ren's turning there for us, so the the example of that was basically Samuel told Saul to, to kill everything. Don't bring anything back. Mm -hmm. And so, as Saul goes, he does half of it. So, he brings back sheep. He brings back all this. He lets the people bring back all of this. But the thing about it was he he got caught for it. So the, the, the text mentioned that he blamed the people for it. And so he Samuel said, why do I hear this bleeding of sheep? What, what, what's going on? And then Saul said, well, the people did it. But he said, well, who's king? Saul is. So then Samuel said, the Lord has taken the kingdom from you today. But the thing about what Saul did in that text, where is that at? It's First Samuel fifteen. I knew we it. Were I off. had it right there. I mean, we were we were so, we were so off. close. First Samuel fifteen. So yeah, let's let's go yeah. back. I want you guys to see this. So uh, he's supposed to destroy the Amalekites, right? Yeah. So then, um, after he destroys them, uh, he brings back sheep, and then Samuel says, "Well, why do I hear this bleeding of sheep? I don't, I don't understand." So verse twenty one. But the people took other spoil of the sheep and the oxen of the chiefs things, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice. But then jump down to verse number 26. Now notice what happens going with your point, Ren. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. Now remember, we're talking about relationships. This goes mm -hmm. with point one. What was Saul's motivation? So now God says, because you did this, I'm not going to return with you because you rejected the word. Of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you of being king. And Samuel turned away, and he laid hold of the skirt of the mantle and rent it. And Samuel said, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from me this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Now watch verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now in front of the people. So now he got caught and he tried to fake repent. Mm -hmm. See, that's the thing too is, and again, we've all been there too. You can't fake repent. So if, if you've been fool's gold, he said, I've sinned. Is that the right phrase to say? Absolutely. But notice his motivation. He didn't say it because he knew he was wrong. He said it because he got caught. Right. It's the same concept. No, keep going. I was, go, go. I was just going to make a kind of a side point to this in where was that verse? <laughs> uh, there in verse 22. No, verse 21. 
where he does mention the fact that the people took the spoil of the sheep, the ox, and the best of the devoted things to destruction. What was the reason that he gave there? Mm. To sacrifice, right? Right. But that's not what God asked him to do. So even though they had something good in mind. God didn't ask for it. Right. And so because Ooh. of that, he was rejected from being king. So even if we have good intentions, if we don't have the right actions, that's it doesn't hold up either. It's, it's not going to hold up. Yeah. And then he mentions at the end of verse 30, honor me before the elders of the people and before all Israel and turn again to me. Now watch what he says that I may worship the Lord, your God. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say mine. Yeah. So off, off rip, just reading this off the surface. Oh, that sounds pretty good. That's a fool's goal. That's a fool's goal. Repentance right mm -hmm. there. Well, my bad. Really? That's what it was. My bad. Well, wait a second. You need to give a little bit more right. than, cause think about, so now this shows a lot about Saul. So what was Saul's motivation for following God? He just exposed his heart here. My motivation is to stay king. Right. Now that now that I know that the Lord has caught me, oh my bad. So uh I, I I've sinned. Let me get the kingdom back. Nope. It's not gonna happen. See, now that can be the danger of living this life for too long. If you live a fool's gold life for too long, sometimes even after you repent, it's not gonna be the same. It's not gonna be the same. Just because from the jump the motivation wasn't right. So Saul learned this the hard way. But the crazy thing about this example, Ren, was David did the same exact thing, but he did it the right way. So when Nathan came to him, like Samuel came to mm -hmm. Saul, Nathan said, you, you're the man. And the text says that I have sinned against the Lord. So now David realized I've been the fool. Right. And now I need to get right. Right. Now, here's the thing about this, guys. As we're talking about this from two preachers. I don't know about you, Ren, but there's been times where I've been the fool, right? Myself, I've been the fool. There's times where I've been fooled, but there's times where I have been the fool too. Okay. So now when we've been that, what do we do? Do we just keep playing the part or do we say, well, okay, maybe I need to straighten up. Maybe I need to get a little bit better. That's how, because we've all been here. All have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we sin, obviously we've all played the fool. Right. So what are we going to do after? That's just a, it's a matter exactly. of the heart. And even even John talks about that in First John, chap, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, where he says that if we say that we don't sin, and mm. keep in mind he's writing to Christians, he says that we're liars and the truth is not in us. But he does say that if we repent and confess it and ask for the Lord's forgiveness, he's then faithful. he'll forgive us. Right. He's faithful. And he even mentions there in chapter 2 that Christ is that, he's that propitiation, he's that mediator, he's that advocate that we have with God when those things happen. Ooh. So let me, I read this yesterday, but this is crazy. So when I was studying this, there was a quote that I read in a book and it says, when we played the fool or when we've, when we've been humiliated or we've been the, um, the executor, I guess, of humiliation towards mm -hmm. someone else, it either brings two things. It either boosts your pride and ego or it will bring humility. So it boosted Saul's ego. Well, let me get the kingdom back. Let me get it back. Right. I'll do whatever it takes to get it back. Well, no, you can't get it back because your heart wasn't right from the jump. But then David, I was really wrong. Now, did, did David still have to suffer consequences? Right. Yes, but he could still stay king. He could still lead. He could still do what God wanted him to do. So it, it's all a matter of when, when we play this part, if our motivation towards God and people hasn't been right, 
if our fruits towards God and people hasn't been right, don't don't let your pride and ego um, hold you back from saying, hey, man, look, I, I wasn't right. My bad. Right. I'm trying to do better. You know, ran from this point forward. We're going to we're going to do better together. Don't let your pride hold you back. Well, my bad, Rand. Inst- right. Instead of just doing it for the right reasons, rather than, you know, there's a difference um, between repenting and reporting. So I, and I, I've been there too. You know, sometimes you report rather than repent. You can say the right thing. You can say my bad, but yeah. do you really mean my bad? Right. It's like whenever parents force their children to apologize to That's each other, it. you know what they don't you know, ask you know what I mean? <laughs> say, say sorry to your brother. <laughs> my bad. I'll get you tomorrow. <laughs> it's, just, it's the same concept. So, I mean, the Lord deserves that respect. And so as we look at this, man, I'm loving how we're studying. Through. This is just a great topic, man, of um, are you real or are you fool's gold? So I can know if I'm real or fool's gold by understanding, do I know my motivation towards God and people? Then two, do I know my own fruits? And then number three, as we look at this, you can know if you're real. And this this really ties into number one, to be honest with you. And two, but mostly number I mean, one. Yeah, they're all connected. They're all connected. But you can know them by their heart and your own heart. So as we talk about this, what do you have as we as you kind of move forward and progress a little bit, Rand? Well, one of the first things that I thought about when you sent me the the talking points of this, and I think it's I think it's a good point because you said we can know by their heart. Mm. A lot of times people will say that we just we can't know somebody else's heart. And I understand that we will never be able to fully understand another person's heart. Right. But their actions give us glimpses into their heart. Right. And so we can have a basic understanding of what their motivation is based on the fruit that is produced because of their actions. And because of those things, we can get a glimpse into their heart. And and our heart is something that's incredibly important in uh, First Chronicles chapter 28, whenever David, uh, this isn't long before he passes away and he is kind of handing the kingdom over to Solomon and giving his final, I guess you could say his, his farewell address to the nation, but also to his son. And he says there in verse nine, he says, and you, uh, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he He will will cast cast you you off forever. And he's saying to do it again, kind of like what we were talking about. Don't do it just to go through the motions. Yeah. Because God knows your heart. Yeah. He knows your intentions and he knows your thoughts. And so do it sincerely because God knows, even if, even if, I can't look at you and know exactly every every aspect of your heart and your intentions and your thoughts. God does. Yep. Ooh, and when you talk about knowing the heart, I want to make this clear too. The scripture wants to make this clear. So as you talk about that, you can know by, I love that word, how you say we can know glimpses. Here's the thing that we need to be careful of too. Yes, we can know glimpses, but be warned as well. The text in Matthew chapter 7, it said you shall know them by their fruits, mm-hmm. S plural so don't just look at one glimpse of something that someone's done and just say well that they're that type of person you can't look at just one right at one aspect it's that you will know them by their fruits 
So right. off of multiple things because of who they are, yeah, it'll show. Mm-hmm. But not you can't just look right. at just one portion and just say they're like everybody else. And we wouldn't want anybody to do that to us. No, absolutely not. I mean, you could look at. I know I've definitely not lived a perfect life, no. and I certainly wouldn't want somebody to see the the times that I have fallen short and just assume that that was what defined me. Yeah, that was what that was who and I that's not who I am, and so. If we want that same, I guess you could say, uh, can't think of the word now. <laughs> uh, if we want that same courtesy, oh, there you go, there you go. Then we need to extend that to others also. And and even with, I think about um, Proverbs chapter twenty three, verse seven, mm-hmm. right? For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So is he. So, man, I mean, just think. I mean, going back to that Saul example, that didn't just come out of nowhere. He knew exactly what he was doing mm-hmm. to Sam. He knew it. And he was just going to see if Samuel was going to bite. But here's the thing. How was he? How did he think he was going to trick a prophet of God? Well, more importantly, how did he think he was going to trick God? He was going to trick God, right? How did, so, I mean, and, and again, we laugh, but we've tried it too. And it doesn't work, guys. No. <laughs> Trust me. It, it, does, it does not work. So, again, that's why the heart, and I think it's, it's either Psalms or Proverbs as well. I can't think of the verse offhand, but where it mentions... Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I believe that's right. Proverbs. But, again, that's why the heart is so important. Because what you let there, it will it will always manifest itself out. Right. All you need is opportunity. Everything that you see and hear and, and hang around, evil communications, corrupt good morals, mm-hmm. all that stuff just harbors there. And you might not think it's affecting you, but when you're put in the situation, when the opportunity presents itself – the heart will always expose itself by your fruits. It will every time. Right. In in Matthew 15, Christ is addressing that very issue um, because he's, he's reprimanding the scribes and the Pharisees for their traditions. And he quotes from Isaiah in verses, I'll just read verses 7 through 9. He says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far mm. from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he points out how, first of all, they were worshiping him in vain because their heart wasn't right. Yeah. So no matter how good they did, it wasn't going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. But then in verses 10 through 20, he describes what really defiles a man. Because what, what began this entire discussion in this chapter is going back to verse 2. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And so the disciples hadn't washed their hands before eating mm-hmm. a meal. And so they said, you're breaking our traditions, you're sinning. And what Christ is using that as a springboard for this discussion and saying, it's not what goes into the body that defiles somebody. It's what comes out from the body. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'll just highlight verses uh 18 through 20, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, i.e. every sin comes from the heart. In verse 20, he says, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He's saying what really defiles somebody is their heart, because it's from your heart that you act, you behave, and it's because of those desires that we sin, which James talks about in James chapter 1, 
versus oh, 13 and 14. Man, I mean, that's just so simple. I mean, it's it's literally right there. I don't know how we can miss it, but right. it, it's right there. Here's one. Here's a last example that I want to I want to bring up, Rand, and you can comment on this as well. So let's say we have, you know, obviously we, we have to speak to ourselves first, but let's say we have listeners that feel like, you know, this is who I've been. You know, I, I haven't been real or not 100% real. You know, maybe I've been halfway. So what do I do? You know, how do I how do I change from being what I am to something better? So here's two examples back to back. That's perfect from Luke 18. So or 18, then chapter 19. That's the second example. So Luke 18, this is an example of someone who was not real. This is someone who was fool's gold. So remember, you have the rich man. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, do all these commands, you know, love your father, love your, your neighbor, all this stuff. And he says, well, I've been keeping this since my youth. So he's been doing the outward things right. But then verse number 41, um, what will I do unto you? And he said, Lord, I will, oh, no, that's the wrong one. Um, that is, I'm looking at the blind man. Uh, verse 22, uh, Luke 18, 22. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yeah, you lack one thing. Sell all that thou hast hast and distribute unto the poor. Then thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was mm -hmm. sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they have riches that shall enter into the kingdom of God. So he walks away. So he was doing all these outward things since he was a kid, but they weren't done with the right motivation. Right. So that's fool's goal. Right. And I, think, I even think we see his motivation in the in the question that he asks, too. He says, yeah, what must it. I do to inherit eternal yeah, life? What, I, yeah, that's what it. box do I need to check? Yep. That's Ooh. what he's asking. And isn't that so easy for us to do? Well, Lord, what do I got to do? The, the least amount of work. Right. Or this can also go into what do I have to do that will inconvenience me the least? Right. So, Lord, I'm already doing this well. But the one thing that Jesus told him to do, it inconvenienced him. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. So, okay, cool. So now th that's, that's fool's goal. That's not real. So how many of us are like him? So if that's us and we realize that's us, well, how do we change? Well, now look at chapter 19, Zacchaeus. So a lot of times this is used for VBS, but Zacchaeus is a great, mm -hmm. a great uh, account here. So again, he searches for Jesus, verse 3. Because he's little, he has to go up into the tree. So here's the thing about it, though. The thing about Zacchaeus and the rich man, they were the same. He was rich. Zacchaeus was rich. So then let's notice what happens here. Um, verse number, uh, verse seven. So when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he is gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said unto the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. What is the thing that Jesus told the rich man to do that he couldn't do? Right. To give up as well. <laughs> to give it up. So now you got two people, same situation. So we can't say they're different. But the one that was real said, I'll do it mm -hmm. for the right reasons. Notice Zacchaeus, he didn't start the conversation by saying, what can I get out of you? Right. He said, what do I have to do to love you? In order to do that, give up what you have to the poor. And, and he goes on, this shows his heart. And if I've taken anything by any man for false accusation, I'll restore him mm -hmm. fourfold. 
So now if you want to be, uh, instead of a fool's gold person, you want to be a, a, a person like Zacchaeus, come to the Lord and say, well, let me do what I have to do to love you, regardless right. of the reward. That's what true love really is when you think about it. It's what if what if the Lord couldn't give us a reward? Will we still love him? Mm-hmm. I think that's why the book of Job was written. Job, at, you know, he got stuff from, from the beginning for sure. But again, he wanted to die all throughout that mm-hmm. book. But he still loved God. He said, no matter what, even though he slays right. me, I'm going to keep my integrity. Right. So what what's going to motivate you to love God and other people? It's just right there, bro. 18 and 19. It's just that it's right there. It's yeah. so simple. Right. It's so simple. And I even think of going back to that example of the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. I did a sermon series on these. I guess it's been a few months now, but looking through these and... Uh, as we talked about a moment ago, it says that they had left their first love. And the question is kind of what you're talking about here. Maybe, maybe someone like what you were talking about, maybe someone who was never really that genuine to begin with going back and making those corrections. But what about somebody that was genuine, but they lost that zeal Mm. and what Christ says there in verse five of revelation two, he says, right after you have abandoned the love you had at first, he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, and repent and do the works you did at first. And I, I always think about this as him saying, remember where you were at the beginning. Remember, of course, as he says, from where you have fallen, remember, I mean, keep in mind what you lost because of this Ooh. and repent and go back. You know, one of the things just using, I guess, more of a, a physical example, one of the things a lot of times married couples, they, when they're first married, you know, they call it the honeymoon phase. Everything's great. Everything's good. But then as time goes on, that kind of phase, you get into a routine, whatever. Well, what was, what really changed? You know, maybe you stopped opening the car door for, maybe you stopped going on dates. You, you stopped doing those things that kept that love on fire, if you will, and kept it going. You Ooh, stopped doing dropping game to a single guy. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> but then, as and I think about this here, it's like when we're when we first obey the gospel. Most of the time, we're so zealous. We're yeah. going out. We're talking to people. On we're fire. studying constantly. We're doing all these things. But then, as time progresses, we get distracted. We get busy with work. We get busy with family. Maybe we're not studying as much as we used to. Maybe we're not putting in as much effort to go. Ooh. I know you mentioned y'all have grocery giveaways. We're not making as much effort to help people who are in need doing these things. And I know one thing, just speaking for me personally, anytime, anytime I go out of the way to do the grocery giveaways to help somebody else in need, I always, always leave that situation, no matter what it is, with a greater zeal to do the work yeah. of God. And so I think of this as losing your first love will go back and do those things like you were doing at the beginning. Mm. And it will, I believe, almost inevitably reignite that fire. Oh, that's good. Go back. I might preach that Sunday night. Right. <laughs> going, going back to your first love. Oh, that's so good. I mean, because, again, that's the reason why the church there and sometimes as, in, as individuals, that's the reason why we become fools, because we've forgotten who's loved us from the right. jump. right. Or like Hosea and Gomer, we thought somebody else could do it better. Mm-hmm. But wait a second, we got to go back to right. the to the one who loved us from the jump exactly. and the actions that we did for, like you said, for God. But then 
as that secular example that you use, but for that other person. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, yeah, we drifted, but what were we doing before, before the drift happened? You know, it's right. the same, it's the same concept. Oh, dude, I'm preaching that. I'm preaching you that. You know, actually, that reminded me, I think it was, was it Brother Mosier that gave us this illustration? I can't remember, but I it think it was been. one of the instructions at, instructors at Memphis. And he was talking about how this, this couple, they was, back in the day when cars had bench seats in the front, you know, that's not really a thing anymore, but they had a bench seat and, and he was talking about how when they first got married, they sat right next to each other. But then as time progressed, they slowly started to drift mm-hmm. apart. And eventually the wife, she spoke up and she was like, I just like, she didn't feel close to him. She didn't feel that same kind of love. And the husband's reply was, well, I haven't moved. Mm. He was driving the entire time. He didn't move. He didn't leave. She was the one that had stepped away. Ooh. And sometimes that's exactly what we do with God. God shows constantly his love for us. And sometimes we lose that love and we feel disconnected, not because God's gone anywhere, not because he's changed, we but because we've stepped away from him. Mm. Man, and, and if we have stepped away, like, like, uh, like Revelation 2 mm-hmm. says, it's time to come back. Right. It's time to come back, you know, and, and we've had people from the podcast reach out Rand, that have said they've left and they've come back and we want you guys to stay back, you know, with the relationship with with God, with others. We want you guys to come back. But in order to do that, you know, obviously, um, you know, repent, you got to change the lifestyle that you were living. You got to change the person that you that you were and be what Christ wants you to be. And so as as we talk about this, man, this was such a. I thought it was a great topic to talk about yeah. today, man. Are you real or are you fool's gold? And for me personally, it was a it was a challenging study because as you talked about before, you can see the fool in yourself. You know, there's a song, everybody plays the fool. We've all played the fool before. But it's a matter of are we gonna stay in the mud like the prodigal son, or are we gonna get up? And come to ourselves, right? And where did what did he say? Let me go back, right? Let me go back to my and he father. He did it. He did it with and humility. It. That's it. He did it with humility. He didn't go back expecting expecting to be at mm. his father's right hand again. He wanted to be a servant. let me be a servant. Yeah, it's all it's all right there. The, yeah. the formula is there. It's just a matter of are we going to do it with humility, or are we going to let our pride and ego get in the way to say, man, look, I wasn't real. Right. You know, I could have done better. And from this point forward, yeah, it might not be what it was, but I'm willing to work mm-hmm. to be what it was. And so let's let's just let's just go to work, man. Right. Like we used to say, let's yeah. just, let's just go to work. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast, um, Ren. This is not going to be your only time on. You'll probably be on again. So I appreciate uh, you being on. But uh, I know Ren, we have um, um, we have people come and contact on Facebook or on Instagram or other social media. So sometimes they like to say of, of topics if they want to hear or all that stuff. So if they have questions or anything for you, where can they find you on social media or the church page or kind of whatever you can give them? Yeah, uh, I do have a Facebook. I don't have it on my phone, but I I still have Messenger. So if you find me on there and you want to message me, you can message me. Uh, of course, the church's Facebook page, again, it's the Collinsville Troy Church of Christ. Uh, you could message us on there. And... Um, of course, you could always call the office. All that information is there on the, the Facebook page. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy, but, I mean, you could could do it either one of those ways. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I know they'd be happy to, to 
answer a question, study right. with you, or even if you're in that console Troy area, just come and visit, you right. know, come and Absolutely. see. So I know Ren and, and the elders and everyone else would be happy to study with you and they'd be happy to welcome you there um, at console if you're in that area. So again, we appreciate you guys, Lord willing. What's today? Friday? Yes. Yes. So Lord willing, we'll be back on Monday with another podcast. We may or may not have another guest on. I'm not sure yet. But I know we'll be back Monday. So thank you guys again, and we will see you guys then. Thanks, guys.